Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. And remember, if you want to listen live, download the iHeartRadio app, download the TuneIn app, and just search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, and you can listen to this program live. Also, if you want to watch the video of this podcast, check us out on YouTube, on Twitch, or on Periscope, and type in, you guessed it, Fantasy Sports Network. You'll find us there. Enjoy the show, and thanks for listening. Ladies and gentlemen, you are now listening to the Fantasy Baseball Hour with Al Melchior. Happy, happy Wednesday, everybody. You are listening to the Fantasy Baseball Hour. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and we got a whole bunch of games in full swing right now. In fact, we got one game that's completely done already. Not sure that's happened yet this year on the Fantasy Baseball Hour. So uh, Phillies and Orioles had an early early one at uh, Camden Yards, and uh, Nick Pavetta made really quick work of the Orioles. Phillies winning four to one. Pavetta eleven strikeouts in seven innings. He improves to three and two, and um, not a terrible day for Andrew Kashner, but not a, a good enough day to compete with uh, Nick Pavetta and the Phillies. So that one's in the books, but we got a whole bunch of games. Already uh, underway, we've got a very, very small nighttime slate. And uh, good thing, we've got Drew Dinkmeyer coming on the show. Of course, if you tuned in last Wednesday, you know that we're starting a uh, weekly DFS segment uh, here on the show. And uh, we're going to have uh, Drew Dinkmeyer from Daily Roto. And we're going to talk specifically, and it's, it's such a timely thing, about uh, how one plays such a small slate like the one we have tonight. And yet, while it's small in games, it's big in aces. Uh, Justin Verlander, Chris Sale, Max Scherzer, all scheduled to start tonight. And I'm, I'm putting the emphasis on the word scheduled there because we've got more bad weather in the uh, Northeast <laughs> that could uh, make uh, maybe a small slate even smaller. But again, that's all uh, stuff that I will talk about with Drew, who will be on just a little bit later. Uh, as always, I'll, uh, take a look back at the previous days and nights standout performances. Uh, the, certainly the biggest and most ex- unexpected one was Jordan Lyles flirting with a perfect game. So we'll uh, take a look at that and a bunch of other ones, but uh, lots of news to get to as well. So get to it. I shall, uh, AJ Pollock, he has been diagnosed with an avulsion fracture in his left thumb. And according to his manager, Tori Lobolo, uh, he figures Pollock's going to be out anywhere from four to eight weeks, which is quite the span. But you figure best case scenario then is that you're not going to see A.J. Pollock again for about a month. Uh, meanwhile, the uh, Diamondbacks, uh, their uh, lineup is uh, is out. And actually, that game starts in about 40 minutes. Uh, that's uh, That's at Chase Field. And they're hosting the Brewers. It's Matt Cook and Brandon Woodruff. And so Gerard Dyson playing center field, batting second. Uh, so imagine we'll see a lot of Gerard Dyson for a while. And so if he's out there, I think he's out there in a good number of leagues. Uh, obviously, you can get uh, get your steals and get uh, maybe uh, some runs as well from Gerard Dyson. Uh, Carlos Martinez, he is going for another MRI tomorrow. That is Thursday to determine... If uh, his lat injury has gotten any better, I have uh, talked 
so far this week about how the, the Cardinals rotation this weekend is really in flux. Didn't know if maybe Martinez was going to be ready to make a start on Sunday. They're going to need a starter on Saturday as well. Well, what we do know, there's a lot we don't know, but what we do know is that uh, Martinez will not be making a start for the Cardinals this weekend. So it's not going to be a minimum stay on the DL for him. And those uh, starts against the Phillies on Saturday and Sunday still TBD. So stay tuned for that and stay tuned uh, to see when maybe we can expect Carlos Martinez to come back. I'm sure we'll know more, probably not today, but maybe tomorrow after he gets his MRI. Uh, That, by the way, coming to us from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, and they also give us this update on Luke Gregerson that uh, he's got a shoulder issue uh, that's putting him on the disabled list. And uh, they also are concerned that maybe there's an elbow injury. So it really does not sound good for Luke Gregerson. Not that he was really figuring in the closer situation anyway there, uh, even though it looked that way back in spring training, but uh, not looking good for Luke Gregerson. From the Washington Post, we learned that Adam Eaton is looking at about a six-week timeline uh, to return uh, from his ankle injury. And uh, he got the cast off of it yesterday, so... Obviously, that's a necessary step, uh, so you can check that box, but still probably about six weeks away from seeing Adam Eaton. Yohanna Cespedes has been placed on the disabled list with a right hip flexor strain. Uh, that has been retroactively moved to Monday. Uh, so theoretically, in fact, I would think likely we'll see Cespedes middle of next week, uh, given, I, I shouldn't say likely, I feel like that's maybe a little too optimistic, but it's a, it's a possibility given that uh, the Mets kind of hemmed and hawed about even getting Cespedes on the DL. They thought maybe he could play through it. So maybe, maybe we see Cespedes middle of next week. Nelson Cruz uh, took a pitch to his foot, and he has a deep bone bruise. And according to the Seattle Times, he is going to miss a couple of days. So hopefully uh, that timetable will stick, and we'll see uh, Nelson Cruz back this weekend. Adrian Beltre has been diagnosed with a grade one uh, strain and uh, he is expected to miss two to three weeks. uh, Very similar to the the injury that he had uh, that uh, sidelined him back in April. So uh, that uh, terrific news there for uh, Adrian Beltre and that update coming from the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. Joey Votto is going to be back in the lineup. So he had uh, some back troubles that kept him out, but uh, he is uh, back in the lineup. And uh, that game, Reds Giants, uh, scheduled to start in about half an hour. And Votto's batting third. So uh, I'll get a chance to take a look at those uh, fuller lineups uh, in a little bit. But Joey Votto back. So if you have an opportunity to get him in your lineup right now, Definitely go take care of that. Justin Turner made his return yesterday against the Marlins, went one for four with a single in his first big game back. According to The Athletic, Madison Bumgarner is going to make his first rehab start for AAA Sacramento on May 26th, so that's a week from Saturday. And um, he is expected to make at least three rehab starts. Uh, So I think probably... A mid-June return is probably what we're looking at here for uh, for Mass and Bumgarner. So we're looks like we're about a month away. Trevor Cahill has been activated and is scheduled to start uh, tonight 
at Boston. Uh, Chris Sale going in that one. You Darvish returned yesterday, but had to leave after four innings due to leg cramping. And of course, he had been on the DL with the flu. So uh, if you're you know worried about uh, Darvish being pulled early, uh, it's leg cramping. He should make his next start. Uh, now, for the Orioles, they have a, a slot to fill in their rotation that's been vacated by Chris Tillman, who's on the DL. And it was supposed to be Miguel Castro going today, but with yesterday's game being postponed, uh, everybody's been pushed back. Of course, we actually saw that, right, because the Orioles played the Phillies already earlier today. It was Andrew Kashner. Uh, however, Castro is still in the discussion to make a start on Sunday. Uh, and it will be, it's basically down to either him or David Hess, who recently made a spot start. So according to the Baltimore Sun, those are your candidates to start uh, on Sunday against the Red Sox. Uh, now sticking with Castro-related news, Jason Castro ha- is now out for the season, was expected he was going to, to miss several weeks. Uh, he had uh, knee surgery, and it, was, uh, it turned out that he had much more damage and, and needed to repair his meniscus, a full meniscus repair, according to MLB.com. So that's going to put Jason Castro uh, out for the entire 2018 season. Uh, so bad news for Castro, good news for Mitch Garver, and, and, uh, and for Mitch Garver's fantasy owners. Indians have placed Bradley Zimmer on the disabled list with a left rib contusion. And a couple of raise notes. Carlos Gomez is on the DL with a right groin injury. And Matt Duffy, uh, like Gomez, he uh, had to leave uh, Tuesday's game early. In his case, it was a tight right hamstring. And Duffy not in the lineup against the Royals, but is looking to return on Friday against the Angels, according to the Tampa Bay Times' Mark Topkin. Uh, Francisco Cervelli took a pitch to the forearm. Uh, however, he's just been diagnosed with a bruise, so good news there uh, from DK Sports. Uh, they're the, the source on that one. And also from DK Sports, Starling Marte being treated for an injury to his side and lower back. Uh, do not have a, a timetable yet uh, for Marte. Stephen Vogt's season is over. Uh, he is going to have shoulder surgery uh, that is going to put an end to his 2018 season. Uh, if he had been able to return, he would have been looking uh, at being a backup uh, to Manny Pena, but uh, his season is now done. A couple of closer notes. Uh, Dan Winkler uh, is now has now been man- mentioned by uh, uh, the manager, uh, Brian Snicker, as part of, or at least potentially, I should say, part of the closer committee in, uh, in Atlanta. So, I mean, really... The closer there's been Rose Vizcaino, and he blew a save last night. Didn't go well for him at all. Uh, I think these things are probably at least somewhat related, but Wiggler's just been terrific and very consistent in the Braves' bullpen. Uh, but A.J. Minter, at least nominally, is part of a committee, but really it's been Vizcaino who's been getting the vast majority of the save opportunities. But I think maybe with Vizcaino uh, having not a great, uh, not a great uh, game on Tuesday – and Minter still there uh, in in those late in, inning situations, and Winkler, who actually looked as in terms of usage, le- looked to be leapfrogging Minter, uh, pitching the eighth inning frequently. 
he may be pitching the ninth. At least uh, Snicker is considering that. So, um, so maybe a three-way closer committee in in Atlanta. I'm, if I sound tentative and confused, it's because I am. <laughs> because they call this a committee, it doesn't look like a committee. Uh, but Winkler apparently may get some save chances. And and it, again, it's very easy to see that given how effective he's been. I mean, he's really been one of the most effective relievers. Period. Closer, non-closer, what have you in the major leagues up to this point. So it would really only make sense that he would continue to get some high leverage situations and maybe maybe the highest leverage ones of all. Uh, and then also a Zach Britton note here. Uh, he threw batting practice, and uh, there is a rehab assignment potentially in the offing during the Orioles' next homestand, which makes it sound like that's really close. But the Orioles' next homestand doesn't start until the week after next week. So that rehab assignment would begin at the earliest a week from from next Monday, uh, and then you know you're you're looking potentially at a while before Britain comes back. So soon enough for a potential return that uh, I wouldn't be sweating the whole uh, Brad Brock Michael Givens situation in Baltimore. Uh, I'd, I'd just be passing that up, but um, far enough away that I wouldn't count on seeing Britain in a game. Anytime soon, certainly not within the next couple of weeks. All right, so uh, like I said, a lot of games currently in progress, but we do have those uh, couple of games that are starting in about half an hour. Uh, we've got all of those lineups, and we've got a couple of lineups for the uh, seven o'clock games. Uh, so we've got three that start just after seven. We've got a seven thirty-five scheduled start in Atlanta, Cubs Braves. And then just one late, late game tonight, uh, a 6.40 start Pacific time at uh, Angel Stadium, Astros and Angels, Justin Verlander, Garrett Richards. But before we get to the lineups, let's look at the weather because that's really going to be of greater importance, uh, especially since we're, we're looking at a few games. Now, the uh, games that are going to start in about half an hour, those are both indoors, Chase Field and uh, Safeco. So uh, we really only have to worry about the nighttime games. And unfortunately, one of those looks really iffy. And that's the Yankees at the Nationals. Uh, Sabathia and Scherzer expected to go in that one. That really could complicate things if you're playing DFS tonight. But again, I'll talk to Drew Dickmeyer just a few short minutes about that scenario. But uh, that game at Nationals Park, there is currently a 65% chance of precipitation, according to the forecast on Roto-Grinders, and pretty much stabilizing at that, uh, at that probability for a couple of hours. So maybe a late start there. I don't know about a cancellation necessarily. I think you probably would rather have the late start, obviously. Uh, but that's one to keep an eye on. And while you're at it, keep an eye also on Cubs-Braves tonight. 32% chance of precipitation at game time going up slightly in the hours that follow. Uh, so we've only, of the uh, nighttime games, we've only really got three that look absolutely clear to go. Uh, so Reds, Giants, A's, Red Sox, and uh, Astros, Angels all look fine. Uh, as for the lineups that are out, uh, sorry, we got the, the two games uh, starting in, within this hour, Rangers at Mariners, uh, Bartolo Colon and Christian Bergman. Bergman just called up earlier today. Uh, so the second baseman of the day for the Mariners is Andrew Romine. Uh, of course, you've probably seen the reports. D. Gordon is working out at second base, should be ready to go back to second base very soon, 
but just not yet. So Gordon starting in center field for the Mariners uh, this afternoon. And for the Rangers and their lineup against Bergman, uh, does not look like there's anything there of note. But of course, Adrian Beltre out for a few weeks. So Isaiah Kiner-Falefa uh, getting the start at third base. And then you got Reds Giants, Matt Harvey's second start as the Cincinnati Red, facing the lefty Andrew Suarez. Uh, so for the Reds, uh, you've got Jose Peraza leading off, uh, Billy Hamilton batting ninth. And uh, in between there, uh, you've got Alex Blandino at third because uh, Eugenio Suarez hurt his ankle yesterday. He didn't come out of the game, but he's not in this game. So... Um, that's that's one to watch, and uh, let's see what else we got here. Uh, so for the Giants, uh, I got Pablo Sandoval at first base, Brandon Belt out in left field, Miguel Gomez at second base, Kelby Tomlinson at shortstop. After Brandon Crawford had a big game uh, yesterday, that we'll talk about later on. So definitely a different lineup for the uh, Giants playing a day game. And uh, the two later lineups that we have right now are Marlins and Red Sox. And uh, that's going to be Walker Bueller and Eliezer Hernandez for the Marlins was supposed to be Caleb Smith. Have to find out what happened there. Um, But they do seem to have their normal lineup in place. And then we've got Cahill and Sale uh, in Boston, Athletics and Red Sox. And Mitch Moreland at first, Hanley Ramirez at DH. Betts, Benintendi, and Martinez in the outfield. So no Jackie Bradley for the Red Sox. And that's all we got right now in terms of lineups. So we're going to head to a break. And when we come back, time for a little bit of DFS analysis with Drew Dinkmeyer. Stay right there. We will be right back. Did you know that you can listen to this show live on the award-winning Fancy Sports Radio Network? Listen on the iHeartRadio app, the TuneIn Radio app, or download the Fancy Sports Radio Network app. The Fancy Sports Radio Network is the only totally free, 24-7, 365 Fancy Sports Network of its kind without a subscription. Check out YouTube Live on the Fancy Sports Network YouTube page and participate in the program in there, where you can ask questions, discuss the topics with other fantasy enthusiasts, or tell everyone that you disagree. Call into your favorite show and ask your question. The number is 844-84-FNTSY. That's 844-843-6879. The Fancy Sports Radio Network, your free fantasy source, 24 hours a day. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Fantasy Baseball Hour with Al Melchior. And uh, with us, uh, just a moment here, as promised, we're going to have Drew Dinkmeyer from DailyRoto.com. One quick update for you, because right before the break, I saw that Caleb Smith was not starting for the Marlins tonight. Not sure what uh, Drew might have to say about that. It is going to be Eliezer uh, Hernandez, the Rule 5 pick, making uh, the start, I believe, his first major league start. And according to Joe Frazaro of MLB.com, he uh, thinks uh, it, the, the move is because uh, Harlan Garcia is being moved to the bullpen and Smith will start tomorrow 
for the Marlins. Uh, so uh, right before we get to Drew here, just a quick note. If you're tired of losing all your money on DFS, when 75% of your lineup performs, it's time you tried the MyBookie.ag Props Builder. Their new player props tool allows you to avoid sharks, winning 90% of the money in DFS while still getting high payouts with its parlay capabilities. Invest in the players that you want without salary caps. Forget having to create multiple lineups. Ditch the hassle of dealing with late scratches. Go to mybookie.ag, open a new account, and enter the promo code FNTSY, and you'll receive a 50% deposit bonus. Don't be a loser and eat DFS chalk while paying DFS rake. Be a winner and play the mybookie.ag prop builder. Plus, you can access the one sport not yet touched by DFS, the Sport of Kings horse racing. Play, win, and get paid at the safest online sports book in the world. And it's simple. One, just go to mybookie.ag, open an account. Two, enter the promo code FNTSY and receive your 50% deposit bonus. And three, finally, click the player props tool, choose your player prop, and collect your winnings. So that's mybookie.ag. And don't forget... Enter the promo code FNTSY. So with no further ado, from DailyRoto.com, first time on the show and really, really pleased to have him here, Drew Dinkmeyer. Drew, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Oh, thanks for having me, Al. Uh, Well, uh, we got uh, a really, really small slate tonight. (laughs) So I want to talk about the particulars uh, of the slate, but uh, just in general, um, do you have any tips in terms of uh, how how to handle a situation where you have you know, maybe only four or five or six games uh, on the nighttime slate? Yeah, I think small slates definitely deserve a unique strategy and a unique approach to them, and it's certainly different by whatever game type you're playing. So, if you're playing a cash game, you know, a head-to-head contest or a fifty-fifty or a double up, I think one of the the focal points of dealing with a small slate will be trying to identify. The, the highest and safest uh, source of points because there are going to be fewer opportunities to overcome the highest scores on the slate as the number of options for your choices get whittled down. So whether it's baseball, whether it's basketball, whether it's football, these smaller slates place a little bit more emphasis in cash games on trying to secure the most consistent source of, of fantasy points. In tournaments, what happens on small slates is ownership gets exceptionally condensed, really, really condensed, where some of the best plays on the slate start to get ownership upwards of you know, 50%, 60% in some cases. And in those cases where the payout structures are more rewarding of those who finish at the top, it makes more sense to try to be contrarian in tournaments. So in cash games on small slates, I would try to identify the highest score on the slate and really make sure that you're paying to try to force them in. And then on in tournaments, I would try to be a little bit more contrarian and try to be different because there's going to be a little bit more condensed ownership than there usually is. Now, on a slate like tonight, where uh, assuming that Yankees-Nationals game gets played, uh, you've got three legitimate aces going in Scherzer, uh, Sale, and um, who am I forgetting here? Uh, JV, Justin Verlander. Thank you, Verlander. How could I forget him? Uh, right. So, uh, I mean, does that play out play differently? Because, I mean, do we, would you expect, again, uh, assuming uh, Scherzer goes tonight, that there's going to be one of those three that is a clear uh, favorite and, and draws that kind of consolidation? Yeah, I think in this case, it is going to happen. Usually, we consider that fortunate to have just a five-game slate and have three different aces because it would spread it out a little bit. But it looks like Mother Nature is going to draw at least some concern away from that 
Nationals Yankees game. You know, they're going to have to play the suspended game first, finish that, and then still get in another game. And it's just extremely wet um, in that part of the country today. Um, and if you were watching any of the afternoon games, you saw that in the Philly Baltimore game, the Toronto Mets game. And so what that should do is it should pull ownership away from Scherzer and kind of condense the ownership between Sale and, and Justin Verlander. And then when you evaluate just those two alone, the matchups are so strikingly different for the two pitchers. Uh, Justin Verlander has to face an Angels team that is a very good offense, but also very contact heavy. Uh, they have one of the lowest strikeout rates uh, in the league dating back to last year, whereas Chris Sale faces a pretty good athletic offense against left-handed pitching, but one that does strike out quite a bit. So we think Sale will ultimately end up being the most popular pitcher and by a relatively wide margin on this slate. Yeah, and you know, I suppose this is probably typical of small slates where a, a lot of the things uh, that one might look for in terms of uh, matchups against lefties or uh, you know looking at strikeout rates, uh, those things maybe not be, may not be in play because there's not really a single team on the slate. I mean, A's probably do strike out more. I'd say the A's and the Cubs probably more than the rest of the teams. We've got a lot of good contact hitting teams uh, yep. on the slate tonight. Um, so, you know, that's not really an angle that you can necessarily take. And then, you know, as far as lefties go, I mean, I don't think anybody really wants to pick on Chris Sale. Um, Caleb Smith has been removed off the slate. He's been pushed back to tomorrow. And Sabathia might not pitch because of the weather. So, uh, you know, in a situation like that, is there any, you know, other sort of angle that you might recommend that people look at? Yeah, we're always going to focus on platoon splits, whether, you know, it's it's facing a lefty pitcher or a righty pitcher. And there's going to be opportunities there. A lot of times on the DFS sites, they try to price some of the hitters based on the opposing starter that they're going to face. So sometimes you'll get, you know, left-handed hitters, if they're scheduled to face a left-handed starter, you'll get them priced down a little bit. So there might be a little bit of opportunity with some of the Dodgers players now that we have that change in, in pitcher and it's a change in handedness as well that kind of, opens things up and makes it so that um, some of the Dodgers lefties might be a little bit valuable on, on the slate, but it's, it's tricky and it's a slate because you're likely going to spend up at starting pitcher that you kind of get into the spot where your options on the hitting side are a little bit constrained. So it's one, it's one of the challenges of a, of a small slate like this is trying to find places to potentially differentiate yourself when lineup construction seems to kind of fit uh, in one specific direction. Uh, are, are there any players that are, I mean, we've talked about the pitchers. Are there any hitters that are standing out for you, uh, given the, the you know, quality of this slate tonight? Yeah, I think the offense that will be the most popular on the slate is going to be the Cubs. Um, they come without any sort of weather concerns. Brandon McCarthy has really struggled his last two times out. And the Cubs are a, generally a popular DFS offense in, in general. They're a pretty good offense on the whole. Um, they're not super difficult to kind of stack um, outside of pricing. Like pricing will be difficult with the high-end starting pitchers, but I think the Cubs will be popular. You know, I think if you're looking for value on this slate, I think looking down in the order for some teams, uh, specifically the Astros are kind of interesting down in the order because they've got a strong deep lineup at the bottom of the order. And while Garrett Richards is a very, very good pitcher and someone I like quite a bit tonight, actually, um, if he does get into trouble, it's usually with like long extended innings with walks and singles and mm -hmm. his command kind of erodes. And you can get into that bullpen a little bit earlier, which is a relatively weak part of the Angels. So I think some of the bottom of the order Astros guys like Derek Fisher, Brian McCann might make some sense in tournaments just because they're cheap and they'll be mm -hmm. under owned because the Astros haven't been hitting the ball very well of late. 
Um, so those are some guys in tournaments and cash games like Jock Peterson now with that pitching switch gets gets bumped up, assuming he's in the lineup uh, and in a good spot. He'll become a good value now getting to face a righty as opposed to being scheduled to originally face a lefty. Um, but those are, you know, it's kind of few and far between in terms of trying to find the values. You kind of have to pick around on the slate. Uh, it's hard to find one team to kind of lock in on. Yeah, so I imagine you probably – now we don't have uh... – lineups for either the Dodgers or the Cubs right now. And those would be, I think, the two mo- most obvious uh, stack sources. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, right now we don't have lineups, so it's it's hard to say. But I would think it'd be tough to build a full stack with, with either lineup. Um, did, would you agree with that or... Yeah, especially if especially if you're playing one of the big stud starting pitchers. Now, if you play one of the cheaper starting pitchers, you'll allow yourself to do that, whether it's on DraftKings using the two starting pitchers or whether it's on Vandal using one starting pitcher. Whatever side you're playing on, if you work down in the salary space, you'll be able to afford them. And those full stacks might naturally be contrarian on a site like FanDuel simply because most people are going to pay up for the starting pitcher in general. So if you went like a full uh, Cubs stack or a full Dodgers stack with someone like you know, Garrett Richards are a cheaper pitcher than the Chris Sale, the Justin Verlander, the Max Scherzer. That might be a contrarian uh, team as a whole stack, even though you'll have individual pieces that might carry some ownership. Okay. Um, now, just more generally, and, and really, you know, I think aim more towards a, a more typical schedule that we might have. Uh, do you have some, some tips on how we should look to build a stack? Yeah, definitely. So a couple things that I think don't get talked about often enough when you're talking about stacking versus an opposing pitcher is a lot of times, you know, people just focus on the the opposing pitcher's quality in their own right. And that certainly is going to make up for the majority of the intrigue for the stack. But I think something that gets overlooked is the quality of the bullpen behind that pitcher. And that's what really plays a big factor into the quality of stacks for us is how good the bullpen behind that pitcher is and who's available on a given day. Um, and some bullpens have really wide disparities between, you know, their, the, the pieces they use when they're playing from ahead and they're closing out games and the pieces they use in like long relief. And so if you're playing a stack, you're hoping to get to that long reliever anyway, because you're hoping that the first starting pitcher really struggles. And so thinking about bullpen quality and who's available, you know, sometimes teams won't let their pitchers pitch three days in a row. So you can go to some different bullpen usage charts and try to figure out, okay, maybe, you know, tonight for the Yankees, maybe a guy like Araldis Chapman is unavailable because he's pitched a few days in a row and stuff like that. Bullpen quality, I think, is the most underlooked and underappreciated uh, factor when it comes into stacking. And that's probably the thing that I'd focus on most. The other stuff, you just kind of want to make sure if you're, you know, stacking against a pitcher, ideally you'd want them to be a little bit more of uh, either prone to walks and you know, uh, uh, helping along facilitating big innings through command issues or fly ball rates where they can just give up home runs. And then even if they're not like putting a lot of men on base, uh, they're very vulnerable to home runs because those are what rack up the scores quickly. Wow. Okay. Well, a lot, a lot to chew on there. And that, uh, that angle uh, of the, the bullpen quality is really fascinating to me. I haven't really thought about that, about disparities between middle relief and late relief or, you know, mop up uh, relievers versus the, the high, higher leverage guys. Um, top of mind, can you think of maybe a team or two that would exemplify that kind of disparity? Um, Cause I, you know, while you're talking about, it, I was trying to think, Oh, what, what team yeah. should that be? And I couldn't really think of which yeah. ones. So one of the first ones that comes to mind is the Red Sox, who have a really strong back end of the bullpen with, you know, Craig Kimball, uh, Matt Barnes, Joe Kelly. Those guys are lights out. 
But the long relievers, they brought up, they brought back Stephen Wright yesterday, and he can be, you know, it's a knuckleballer, so it can be a wide range <laughs> on any given day. He can be lights out, but he can also be very vulnerable to home runs. And then Brian Johnson, uh, their lefty, who, you know, had limited success out of, out of the starting rotation and kind of moved to the pen. They're one that has kind of a wide discrepancy. A team that has a really good bullpen all the way through would be like the Houston Astros. They're very difficult to stack against in general because their starting pitching is so good. But even their long relievers are guys like Brad Peacock and Colin McHugh, who are were successful starters. Um, so those are, those are some teams that, you know, are on the good bullpen side, but some discrepancies between kind of the quality of the middle relief and then on the bad bullpen side, I think, you know, teams like the Detroit Tigers, the Chicago White Sox, generally it correlates well with the, the weakest teams in the league or the teams that don't have the quality depth on their roster to fill out a good bullpen. Those are bullpens that we consistently look to attack with stacks. All right. Really interesting stuff. Um, and yeah, you, you mentioned the Red Sox right off the top. And, and if, as soon as you mentioned them, I thought, and they don't even have, have Hector Velasquez right now, who actually has right. been really good in middle relief. So that that looks like a a great team to pick on in terms of the bullpen. Um, by the way, we do have a Cubs lineup now. Uh, you were mentioning you think that maybe picking some of the guys lower in the order might be uh, be the way to go. Was that was that the Cubs you were talking about? I was the Astros was the one that oh, first came to mind because those guys are right. so cheap and their li- their lineups are consistent. The Cubs lineup. Uh, that came out is not the Cubs lineup we would have expected. Uh, Albert Almora is going to lead off tonight, so no Ben Zobris. Um, Zobris was looking like a pretty good value for us. Almora is going to be okay. Um, he's he's pretty affordable, so he'll definitely fit into lineup construction. But the bottom of their lineup has a little bit of pop to it with Ian Happ and Addison Russell. But the fact that throughout the middle of their lineup they're kind of expensive is going to make it tough. And Kyle Schwarber all the way down to sixth is going to make it tough to get like a cheap bottom of the order stack from kind of a, a higher end team that might, you might be able to swing that with the Astros or the Dodgers today, but um, the Cubs only have, you know, really Addison Russell, Happ and Albert Almora that are even below the average cost of a roster spot. Oh, all right. All right. So not much there. Uh, and one player I don't think we've really talked about yet. Uh, what I'm really intriguing is Walker Bueller. And of course now yeah. the opposing pitching matchup has changed changed there so maybe that that changes the calculus a little bit but um when um i had uh mike leone on last week and he was emphasizing the importance of strikeouts and bueller's been a a strikeout guy in the minors he's uh, had no trouble getting strikeouts so far this year but he's somebody that worries me a little bit because he's not a big swing and miss guy he really depends on on the called strike for strikeouts. And I also worry about walks with him too, because he's not been getting at least so far, you know, very limited sample, getting a lot of chases out of the zone. So where do you come down on Bueller tonight, just overall and in terms of uh, looking for strikeouts? Yeah. So I like Bueller tonight, but I think there are some reasons for caution long-term and some of the reasons you mentioned in terms of the statistical profile early on, but I'd also uh, add to that is the schedule that he's faced so far. He's faced Miami, San Francisco, San Diego, and Cincinnati, all in pitchers' parks, most of those games at home. I would classify all of those offenses as below average against right-handed pitching um, when you adjust for park, Cincinnati being the best of that group. And I would consider those all like really plus matchups for Walker Bueller. And he has delivered the goods. He's been very good from a results standpoint. But you, you would hope that he would be in taking advantage of that strong early schedule. I think as the schedule toughens, there will be more tough r- roads ahead for Walker Bueller. He's a young pitcher with electric stuff, but he's going to need to get and, and be able to generate more swings outside the strike zone. 
right now he's basically, you know, living on spotting the fastball early in the count and then trying to put you away late in the count with the breaking stuff. I think as he faces more advanced offenses, he's going to need to mix in that arsenal. And the, the command issues that he had in the minor leagues so far have not shown up, but generally he has not faced very patient offenses early on. So I would say from a DFS perspective tonight, I'm okay with him. I think he's priced well on DraftKings. I think he's a little overpriced on FanDuel. Um, but long-term, if you're playing seasonal fantasy baseball, um, especially if you're not in any sort of keeper league or anything like that, I think selling on the name value of Walker Bueller would make a lot of sense. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you on, on that, uh, and uh, some some really interesting analysis too on, on the DFS perspective there with Bueller. So, uh, well, uh, we are unfortunately Drew out of time here, uh, but uh, we did manage to break out in a very small slate. <laughs> uh, it's a pretty good detail here, so I really appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing the the knowledge with all of us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Al. All right, Drew, we we'll take it easy. Uh, Well, folks, we do have to head to break, but uh, on the other side, we'll uh, go back and take a look at last night's games and uh, maybe check in on today's games as well. So uh, don't go anywhere. We are going to be right back. Have you ever wanted to have a fantasy expert in the palm of your hand? Or better yet, in the pocket of your khakis? Well, check it out. Now you can. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Download it now to your phone. We promise no weird viruses, no strange tracking things. Just 24 hours a day, seven days a week of pure fantasy knowledge dropping all over your head. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Stop being a weirdo and streaming it online. Get it on your phone. Take it with you everywhere you go. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Fantasy Baseball Hour. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And once again, just big, big thanks to Drew Dinkmeyer from DailyRoto.com, who joined us that last segment. And I guess it's the second week we've done this segment, and I've just been blown away both times, uh, just the the knowledge that these guys have. And, um, you know, I liked You got a little bonus uh, seasonal uh, advice from Drew in that last one, which I thought was, you know, the, the discussion of Bueller, I just thought was so interesting because you talked about the fact that he's not getting the chases on pitches uh, out of the zone, but the schedules really favored him, not only just in terms of overall quality of opponent, but, and also the good, the good venues that he's pitched in, but, uh, you know, facing lineups that don't feature a lot of really selective hitters. That's a really key thing to look at because you can get away with it with a guy maybe who doesn't have a very good control or somebody like Bueller who doesn't have a control problem but isn't deceptive outside the zone. Um, that, that, that's a really, really key thing to look at uh, for, for seasonal fantasy. So I'm really glad that he brought it up. So uh, we do have another game that's final. We'll take a look at that. Uh, still several ongoing games, uh, but also want to talk about DailyRoto.com Dollar Month. I've talked about it here on the network, but I want to put it in some context for you. Now, let's say you buy a lottery ticket, you pay the dollar, you pick a bunch of numbers, and that's it. So you clutch the ticket and you hope. But now let's say that you try DailyRoto.com Dollar Month. You pay your dollar, you get access for 30 days, and you're transported into a world that's produced five millionaires. Take destiny into your own hands. Go to DailyRoto.com and enter the code $1, that's all spelled out, O-N-E dollar, and it's all one word, mushed together. That's dailyroto.com, and enter that code, $1. 
Okay, so uh, the uh, game's in progress. We actually just did have one that finished. Uh, Pirates 3, White Sox 2, and a little bit of bullpen intrigue in this one. Um, by the way, neither starter, Hector Santiago or Jameson Tyone, uh, made it six full innings. Uh, Santiago pitched five, Tyone five and two-thirds. Um, but, you know, not, not bad starts for them. But uh, the the White Sox uh, they had a uh, an er, or I'm sorry actually the, the Pirates had the early lead uh, and then uh, the, the the Pirates went up uh, in the in the seventh inning and you know they closed it out in pretty much typical fashion uh, Michael Feliz in the in the eighth uh, and then Felipe Vasquez uh, getting the save in the ninth inning his eighth save of the year but in the in the close game but where they were behind and actually let me uh so let's see that was yeah the, the seventh inning so yeah the white Sox were behind going into the eighth and they brought in joaquin soria and he uh so he actually i'm sorry i got the timing on this wrong soria came in, in the tie game he got the loss in the seventh inning and then they brought in nate jones after so maybe it was just getting work for these guys but that situation is just really uh really kind of a mess and you've had uh, Bruce Rondon recently pick up a save. Jace Fry in this one pitched the sixth, and he's you know he's not pitched a lot. Uh, he's only recently been called up, but he has yet to give up a run. Getting strikeouts. Uh, so I, I think I mentioned earlier in the week that I did make a a speculative pick on him in Tout Wars, and so far looking good for Jace Fry, but not not really sniffing the the high uh, leverage situations just yet. So. Pirates do win that one, three to two. We have, uh, yeah, no other you know save situations uh, sprouting up just yet. Uh, we've got the Blue Jays and the Mets in the seventh, but that's nine nothing Blue Jays. We do have a, a close one between the Cardinals and the Twins in the sixth. That's four to three Cardinals. Uh, so just seeing who's in that game right now, Matt Bowman. For the Cardinals, who, uh, again, have that one-run lead, although Bowman uh, has made a little closer. Michaelis uh, only lasting four and two-thirds in this one. And that's not his M.O. That's the guy who uh, is has been really, really efficient so far. And a very short outing for Lance Lynn. Only three innings uh, there for him. Uh, but that one's still uh, tight in the, the late innings. And then we've got the Rays up on the Royals, five to one in the fifth. And then uh, we uh, just had a few just get underway. Uh, Brewers, Diamondbacks, Rangers, Mariners, and uh, Reds, Giants. All righty. So that pretty much catches us up, catches us up on uh, what's going on right now. And then again, we got uh, the very uh, small slate tonight, which could be smaller depending on what happens with Yankees and Nationals. Do the weather there. Uh, but going back to Tuesday's games, uh, Jordan Lyles was the big story. Uh, seven and a third innings, uh, almost all of that uh, perfection <laughs> right into the eighth inning, uh, toying with the perfect game, uh, did uh, leave with the, the one hit, no runs, 10 strikeouts for Jordan Lyles, and only one walk against his uh, former teammates, Colorado Rockies. So Lyles has been uh, surprisingly good this year. Most of his work has been done out of the bullpen in a long relief role. So, you know, I, I'm still skeptical of the results so far. Uh, he certainly, you know, does get 
a nice venue there. Um, Rockies are not a particularly good team on the road. So that's uh, something else to take into account. And I don't want to completely dismiss this performance by Jordan Lyles, but um, going into next week, he right now is shaping up to get a two-start week. And his uh, matchups would uh, be, first of all, at the Nationals and then finishing up at the Dodgers. So a couple of road starts getting away from Petco Park for uh, Jordan Lyles. And, uh, you know, I mean, the Dodgers, you know, I, I'm almost, you know, having to really work hard at transitioning away from last year, remembering that they've, they've really not been a tough matchup so far this year. And, uh, you know, the parks aren't bad, especially Nationals Park. Not not bad. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm just not trusting Lyles quite enough yet, maybe in a very deep league to go with him uh, with two starts. But I'd say the vast majority of formats and depths, I, you know, maybe you pick them up and stash them. Yeah, bad idea, particularly in a deeper league. Don't think I'm ready to start them yet, even in a two week league or two, two start week for, uh, for Lyles. Jose Brios has been a very common topic of uh, discussion his last several times out, had a string of starts really four in a row that weren't very good. And I watched a good chunk of his uh, start last night against the Cardinals. And he certainly looked like he was all the way back. And one of the things uh, that I've liked about Barrios, actually a couple of things, and one is the potential for a low Babbitt because of uh, being a fly ball pitcher and yet one who doesn't allow a lot of hard contact on fly balls. And we saw that last night. Um, Some balls just dying in the outfield. And you could see... The, the, the rise in the fastball and and getting swings and misses high up in the zone. Uh, so just a really, really good-looking start for Barrios. Went seven uh, and a third innings against the Cardinals. Just one run on two hits, only one walk in 10Ks. So really, really nice start for Barrios. Uh, really almost as good of a start as Jordan Lyles did. And then opposing him for the Cardinals, Jack Flaherty, Pretty good start, not nearly as dominant, not nearly as consistent, but uh, five and two-thirds, only one run allowed on five hits to walk, only three Ks for Flaherty, but uh, not, you know nothing really uh, to complain about there. And then uh, Trevor Williams with a really nice start against the White Sox. And yes, again, you know, we got to look at the matchup, the White Sox, uh, what, definitely one of the more uh, desirable matchups uh, in the majors. But, you know, Williams in his own right is really shaping up to be uh, an interesting option. And I think somebody, you know, maybe you could even stream in like a 12-team a mixed league. Uh, he's definitely more of a, you know, when you talk about streaming, it's here I think has, has to be a very, very good matchup or more likely a two-start week because he's never really been that much of a strikeout pitcher. That continues to be the case this year uh, now against the White Sox, he did get six strikeouts in seven innings. You know, nowadays that's that's pretty average, right? I mean, there was a time where that might have, you know, might have thought, ah, six strikeouts, but six strikeouts in seven innings, better than he normally does. Again, he could probably chalk some of that up to the matchup. Uh, overall, including that start this year, he's got just a 16.6% strikeout rate, so definitely low. But he's very good at uh, inducing soft contact. Uh, his hard contact rate right now after that start, 
26.3%. I mean, that's really, really good. And a soft contact rate uh, above 22%, you know, also really good. So uh, Williams, definitely somebody for points leagues, could could go deep into games. Uh, again, not going to get you the strikeouts, but in a points league where uh, in, in most formats, that's not going to be as important. He's got a nice home park to pitch in. Um, so yeah, seven shutout innings against the White Sox, six hits, no walks, six Ks. Very nice start. Probably better than you're typically going to see from uh, Trevor Williams. But, um, you know, like I said, there's a lot to like there, um, particularly in terms of, uh, of points leagues. Quality starts, too. Something I think you can expect uh, him to deliver. Now, Jaime Berea, uh, when I have talked about on the show, it's, it's been really in sort of a dismissive way. So, Jaime, I'm really sorry. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I talked, I've talked about him in, in the same way that I've talked about Harlan Garcia, who, uh, as I talked about a little bit earlier in the show, looks like he's getting moved to the bullpen. He had a string of really, really great starts to begin the year, at least great in terms of result, but not really great in terms of peripheral stats. And while those peripherals didn't improve, the results started to match the peripherals. And so now he's out of the Marlins rotation. So I think I unfairly lump Bria in with Garcia. And uh, I think I put Matt Cook in that uh, that same category. We'll see if I'm going to be wrong about him too. Uh, he's, uh, his game is just getting underway today. So looking forward to talking about that one tomorrow. With Nando DeFino, by the way, it is going to be a Nando Thursday tomorrow. But Berea, a really strong start, another one, and against the Astros, and against Garrett Cole, outdueling Garrett Cole. Uh, so in this one, Berea went seven innings, only gave up one run on four hits with no walks and seven cases. That's just a good line right there. So um, a, just a good game for uh, Jaime Berea. But... Um, the last uh, start before that was at Coors Field for Bria. Seven strikeouts for him in that one, five and a third, and no runs allowed. So, um, you know, good good results the last couple with strikeouts. But you don't just have to go based on those two starts to see some things to like about Jaime Bria. Um over the course of his now five starts, so you know, starting to build up a little bit of a of a sample there, he's got a forty percent chase rate. That's outstanding. That is absolutely outstanding. Uh, he has not allowed many barrel balls. I think three total actually over five starts, and uh, the exit velocity he's allowing is very low. So, uh, while well, I wouldn't necessarily expect him to go out. And get a strikeout per inning every time, or uh, you know, every start like he's done the last couple of starts. Um, I think you know, much much like Trevor Williams, a lot of soft contact. Um, maybe you can expect that the walks are not going to hurt him. He walked three batters in his first start against the Rangers, uh, but since then, over four starts, just a total of four walks. So. Uh, you know, maybe that's something we could look forward to with Berea because he's he's getting the swings on the bad pitches. So, you know, maybe good for whip, may not get get a lot of walks, you know, even if there isn't necessarily a high strikeout rate every time out and not a lot of hard contact. So definitely time to get a little bit intrigued there by uh, Jaime Berea 
And uh, for next week, take a look at the Angels schedule. Uh, I'm not sure actually how that lines up yet, so I apologize. Let's get ready to look at that, but not sure how the uh, the Angels rotation is going to shape up just yet. But uh, keep keep an eye on that. And Mike Fultonevich, uh, he only went five innings against the Cubs yesterday, but he still got ten strikeouts. Also walked five, um, and it, that's kind of a reflection in the sense of the sort of pitcher that he's been this year, getting a lot of swings on pitches in the zone. Uh, or I'm sorry, let me reverse that. Not getting a lot of pitches, uh, not getting a lot of swings on pitches in the zone. Uh, so getting getting a lot of freezes there, uh, but also not really fooling batters much into swinging on pitches outside the zone. So you know, the, I think these are extremes. I don't think we're going to see Mike Fultonevich get two strikeouts in inning all the time, or uh, issue one walk in inning all the time. But you know, I think that sort of profile with uh, a lot of strikeouts, a lot of walks, is something that we could continue to see from uh, Mike Fultonevich. We also had a handful of standout hitting performances. Gene Segura, I, I have not talked about him in a really long time because he's just been steady. He's just been hitting for average. Uh, the stolen bases have been coming, but you know, not at a, at a rate that you necessarily that would exceed your expectations or that you would necessarily even get excited about. But he got four steals. He got four steals uh, uh, on Tuesday uh, against the Rangers. And uh, so just a terrific game. So now all of a sudden he's up to uh, 11 stolen bases and on a 40 steal pace for the season. I, you know, I don't think that's necessarily going to happen based on the, the recent track record and the fact that four of those steals were lumped together in one game. He's just been steady. Uh, Brandon Crawford, not so much, but he had a big game going four for four against the Reds with his ninth double. So we're, he's on a good doubles pace for the year. But now he's batting 290 with a 364 BABIP. That is legit in the sense that he's got a 29% line drive rate. So if he can keep that up, he can he can flirt with a 300 batting average. My question is whether or not he's going to keep that up because Crawford's not really been a line drive hitter. Uh, not that he's been you know anti-line drive, but he's definitely not been exceptional in that regard over the course of his career. Um, so I would not get overexcited about Brandon Crawford right now. Juan Lagares had a four-hit game, including a triple and his third stolen base. Uh, the Mets uh, racking up a lot of offense against the Blue Jays on Tuesday. Devin Mazzarocco also two for two with three walks and his third home run. So maybe the, the beginning of some better stuff for Mazzarocco. And Steven Piscotti, uh, certainly the highlight of yesterday. His third home run of the season in his first game back off the bereavement uh, list, uh, of course, uh, mourning the loss of his mother. Uh, so it was uh, very cool to see Steven Piscotti uh, hit a home run right away. Uh, anyway, um, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks again to Drew, Drew Dickmeyer from DailyRoad.com. And uh, why don't you rejoin me tomorrow? Because it's going to be a Nando Thursday.